0: All right, kids, you guys can go to Super Church if you want to, third grade and under. <clears throat> and good morning to the rest of you. Take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 26, if you will. <clears throat> Pastor Rick mentioned a little while ago that we've been praying um, just about God taking us into a deeper relationship with Him. You know, to talk about going deep is sometimes an interesting statement to make, and <clears throat> sometimes we really, we don't really know what that means. Sometimes I think we think that going deeper means to know a few more things than we know now, and that's not what it's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about praying for God to bring us to a relationship that, that, you know, humbles us. I mean, really humbles us to recognize who God is, to be able to, to put aside the cheap stuff, to, to put aside the things in this world that, that don't mean anything. They just don't. There's a lot of things that, man, we focus on and we strive for, and they don't mean anything, and they are not ever going to mean anything. Uh, things of this world... Possessions, money, comforts, pleasures, things that you know we we get in engulfed in. And, and I really do believe that God wants us to to enjoy living. But we we often think that living means physical things and God means a relationship with Him. And then when it comes to Looking at Christ as He's going to the cross, if we've been looking at in this book of Matthew and in particular chapter 26 for the last several <clears throat> messages, I mean Jesus' his understanding of what it means to live and to have a relationship with God is pretty contrary to what we actually think. <clears throat> and uh, man, I've been praying for myself and I've been praying for us as a church that God would bring about his presence in a very heavy way. And by that, I mean in a way that would bring his holiness into our lives, where we would see him or maybe be forced to see him and then see ourselves, to realize that he's so glorious and he's so righteous and he's so powerful and he's so good that to settle for anything less is just just the cheap stuff. But I gotta tell you, when you begin to pray for God to do a work in your own personal life, to to reveal himself to you so that you want him more than you want anything else, it's costly. Uh, It's just terrifyingly costly. Because most of us, like I've already said, want cheap stuff. We don't really want the work that it takes to have a, a deep relationship with God. Because to have a deep relationship with God means to die to ourselves. It means to let God kind of chisel away at this stuff that we hold on to, that we claim satisfies, and, and to actually you know, begin to live for him and not just talk about it. We talk so much, but our lives are, are lacking in so many ways. I mean, even in this passage, I mean, the last time we were here in chapter 26, we, we talked about our, our profound need for prayer, and it's, it's a simple passage, right? Jesus, he's just finished with the Last Supper, and he needs to pray. I mean, just that thought right there is just powerfully profound to me, the Son of God, the sinless one. The one who's going to save the world from their sins, he needs to pray. That's crazy to me. And he takes his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, He leaves eight and takes three. Peter James and John says, "Come here with me." He says, "My soul is grieved to the point of death. I mean Jesus is at this place, right where he feels like what he's going through is going to cause him to die. He's struggling to be obedient to God. He's struggling to carry out the task. He knows what God wants from him, but he knows the cost. Have you ever been there? You ever realize that to serve God is going to cost you at a level that that maybe you don't really want? I mean, there's massive changes that come when you want to follow God. I mean, you give up your lifestyle sometimes to follow God. You give up your job to follow God. Sometimes your family rejects you when you follow God. I mean, you give up your conveniences and your schedules. You give up your preferences and your opinions. I mean, to follow God is this, this total submission to him and his will. And Jesus knows what that is, and he prays, you know, Father If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And what he's saying is, if if there's any other way for me to obey you and for me to save the world from the sins, let it happen because I'm going to have to drink the wrath of God as I become the sins of the world and take the punishment for the sins. It's no casual thing for Jesus to follow the Father. But he leaves Peter, James, and John, and he says to them, hey, you guys stay here, and you watch with me. Like, he wants them to stay and pay attention and pray. And he's not asking them to pray for Aunt Betty's, you know, sore foot. He's not even asking them to pray for the cross. He knows the cross is coming. He's not asking them to pray for physical things, which is where we start to struggle sometimes, isn't it? Christ wants us to pray about spiritual things, about our relationship with him, about what's going on around us in the spirit, about being faithful, about obedience, about succumbing to the great will of God. He wants us to be ready when God calls us to it. And so, right, he leaves them and tells them to pray, and he goes and prays these deep prayers, sweating drops of blood. And he comes back, and Peter, James, and John, they're sleeping. We talked about it, right? And he, he tells them, are, are, you, are you still sleeping? He tells them, your spirits are willing, but your flesh is weak. Now, mind you, he's told them all, you're going to fall away from me tonight. And they don't want to. But they're not paying attention. They're not praying. And he tells them, stay awake and pray. If you pray, there will be a difference in your life. But isn't that part of our problem? When we begin to talk about going deeper with God, man, we don't even see a need for it most of the time, right? Aren't we awesome the way we are? Aren't we? Whoo! College Heights. Come on, somebody else go woo! Look at that. Thanks, Nate. Preacher kid, right there. Man, guys, I love you. I love you with all my heart. I mean that. I couldn't be more thankful to be right here in this church serving you and serving with you. But guys, we we're lacking in a lot of ways. And I'm not trying to be mean about that. We're slacking, and yet we're so much like the disciples. God calls us to pray. He calls us to pray deeply. He calls us to pray spiritual things. He calls us to pay attention to what's going on around us, and we, we can't even do it. We just choose not to do it. We make a point not to do it. So he comes back second time. They're still still sleeping. Comes back a third time. We finished our last passage in verse 46. We'll start there and we'll read. Matthew 26, 46. He says to them, get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came to Who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people? Now he was betraying him, gave them a sign, saying, "Whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him!" Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, "Hail, Rabbi!" and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, "Friend, do what you've come for." Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, "Put your sword back into its place." For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And Lord, we do want to grow in our relationship with you. Not casually. We don't want you, Lord God, to be a God that satisfies our flesh. We want you to be a God that satisfies our soul. We want you to be to us, the answer to our problems, the hope in our distress, the immovable rock when all of our circumstances are raging. We want you to be in us, our deliverer and our savior. And Lord, you are. But for us, Lord God, we've got to look to you, we've got to believe in you, we've got to walk by faith, and we've got to walk by obedience, and we've got to love you, and I pray you'd help us do that. As we open your word this morning, I pray you'd speak. I pray you'd draw the lost to salvation. I pray that you would bring conviction of sin, that we might repent. And I pray, Lord God, that you be glorified. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this remarkable change in Jesus. You know, he starts out saying that he's grieved to the point of death. <clears throat> I mean, he's just he's just wrestling. He's not wrestling in the shallow ways that we have. I mean, we don't have to go anywhere near this far in order to sin before we get there like temptation comes our way and we don't have to go anywhere near as far as Jesus went and struggling to be obedient he went all the way right and he's pouring out his life before the father he's saying not my will but your will be done and God is apparently ministering in his life because by the time he's done with these prayers that he has offered up before the father he comes back and he says to the men get up because, don't you love this? Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. He knows what's happening, but now he's resolved. Now he's ready. Now he's not the man that's grieved to the point of death. Now he's the man that's ready to go to the cross and face all of this injustice that he's going to face. It's an incredible thing. I mean, honestly, it's the power of prayer that you and I absolutely are not convinced is true. The power for God to do something in us and enable us to do something that we can't do that we just can't fathom, right? This prayer that says what I really need is God to work in my life. I don't need anything else. And what an amazing thing because as soon as he's done praying this third time, man, the Bible says while he was still speaking, right? While he's still speaking, if Jesus hadn't gotten ready Man, the battle would have been even worse had he not been ready. But I gotta tell you, these guys weren't ready. Peter, James, and John weren't ready. The other eight weren't ready. But it's happening, right? As he's still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came for the chief priests and the elders of the people. So now, Here's the picture. It's the middle of the night. They're on the side of a hill. I mean, you can't see a thing. Jesus and his disciples had done this before. This wasn't really unusual. But while they're out there, Christ knowing what's coming, having prayed, these men come out, Judas, and he says one of the 12. So he's pointing out to us that this is the Judas that he has already said was going to betray him. He's come now, right? The betrayer is at hand. He's not just come alone, he's come with a large crowd and this crowd has come from the chief priests and from the elders of the people, right? So in other words, the literal leaders, spiritual, political economical, whatever, of the nation of Israel have sent this crowd of people to arrest Jesus. Now, you know, as I, as I work through the word of God, there's, this, there's just some things sometimes that, you know, I just want to ask myself, I mean, why? You know, why the crowd? and why in the middle of the night and, and there's some there's some answers to that some hip, simple answers to that i mean they're they're doing evil so they're doing it in the dark it's not exposed to the light i mean that's that's some actual simple stuff but You know, as as I worked through this this week, I thought, why the crowd and why the swords and why the club? I mean, Jesus had never done anything violent. He'd never threatened to do anything violent. He'd always been one that would love, one that would forgive, one that would heal, one that would touch the ones that nobody else would touch. I mean, he's known for being radically different than everybody else in the very best ways. His teachings were so powerful that people would marvel at his authority. You know, he commanded the dead to be raised. He healed the deaf. Man, he made the blind to see. He made the mute to speak. He cleansed the lepers. I mean, we could go on and on. He calmed the sea. But man, that that didn't matter to the wicked. Matter of fact, the only thing that mattered to them was them. The only thing that mattered to them was them. And the more Jesus taught and the more that Jesus did and the more that Jesus revealed the fact that he was actually the Messiah that they should have recognized and then worshiped, the more angry they became, the more wicked they became. They didn't want to have a relationship with God. They didn't have a relationship with God. If they'd had a relationship with God, they would have loved Jesus. But because Jesus was so radically good, holy, righteous, God, the more they rebelled against him, right? They hated Christ Jesus, but they couldn't stop him. To this point, there had been more than one opportunity for people to stone him. More than one opportunity where people tried to kill him, and they couldn't do it. They tried to trip him up, and tried to prove that he wasn't as good and as godly as he was, but they couldn't do it. And so what did they have to do? They had to take things into their own hands. Or they had to take things into their own hands. They had to devise a plan. They had to come up with something in the flesh that they thought could overthrow the works of God. And so they decided that if they took a crowd with some swords and some clubs, they'd be able to arrest Jesus and stop all of his horrible teaching and loving and grace. That's ridiculous. And yet, man, it's, it's very telling. It's very telling to me. It should be very telling to you because men have been trying to outsmart God and outdo God and put God down since the very beginning. It's been happening since the very beginning. But guess what? You and I, in many ways, aren't any different. We don't don't really look to God to take care of our problems. I mean, sometimes, right? But, But anymore, when I talk to people who are really sick, you know what they do? They get on the internet, they start finding their own diagnosis and they start finding their own problems. They start finding their own answers even when they're sick as if, as if we're going to figure it out. Huh, I wonder who the healer is. Me, you, the internet. Huh. Financial problems. If we turn to God in prayer. Do we could try to control our own things? Well, that's right. We're callingsites, aren't we? For God, we all just pray about it and let God handle it, don't we? Relationship struggles. I mean, ministry needs. Are we are we really walking in the Spirit? Are we really believing that we can let God have our needs? Or are we like these guys in the flesh who are, instead of trusting God, doing everything they can to control the script and make things happen? Right? Get her done. We live in Wyoming. Get her done. We can do it. See, when you don't know God, you certainly don't trust God. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting for your life? Who are you trusting for your needs? Who are you trusting for your problems? Who are you trusting for your sickness? I'm not talking about saying you trust God. I'm talking about are you giving yourself to God completely assured that he's got you? He's not going to leave you. He's not going to let you down. He's able to meet your needs. Well, it goes on, says, now he was betraying him, gave them a kiss, saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one, sees him. And immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, hey, oh rabbi, and kissed him and Man, I, <laughs> there's some things that just, I mean, they just, they just hurt me and they make me angry. This is one of those places. I mean, Judas has got this crowd with him. They don't have modern flashlights or headlamps. They don't have floodlights. You know, they're out in the middle of basically the forested hillside and it's dark. And you know, you've been in the timbers, you've been in the mountains in the dark at least many of us have. It's dark. You don't see a thing, especially if there's not much moonlight. It's just flat dark. And so Judas has to make a way for these guys to see the one that they should arrest. And so he tells them, I'm going to go up and I'm going to kiss the one that you're supposed to arrest. And he goes up there and he says, hail hey, rabbi. And you kind of read this and, and you kind of go, well, you know, he's showing some respect. That's garbage. That's garbage. I've actually had people say, you know, Judas didn't seem to be that bad of a guy. Judas was a betrayer. Judas, Jesus called him a devil in John. Judas was arrogant. He comes up to Jesus and he calls him rabbi, which means teacher, which can mean respect. But all the other disciples, most of the time, call Jesus Lord. There's a huge difference between Lord and teacher and Judas is walking up to him and he's got that cynical grin on his face. I can almost see it. Hail, rabbi. You just want to punch him. And he's, he's dead. But there it is. This foul, wicked man who walked with Jesus and yet rejected him because he wouldn't submit and believe in the goodness of the grace and the power, the truthfulness of Jesus Christ because he didn't want God. He didn't want God. He knew that if he surrendered to God, he'd have to give up himself and his ways. And oh, does that sound familiar to so many of us? Lord, don't get too close to me. Lord, don't ask too much of me. Lord, I'm not going there with you. So I'll have to betray you because I can't go with you and not betray you. And then he kisses him. The kiss was a common greeting. but It would have been a greeting between friends. Even back then, you probably wouldn't kiss somebody on the cheek that you didn't really care for. I've only had one experience with people kissing me In Portugal, we had one trip that certain groups of Portuguese don't do this all the time. Certain groups do. I don't know why. But we were the ones that did. And they kissed me a lot. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, don't get that close to me. But I'm trying. And I can remember at the end of one of our trips... I'd got done preaching in this church, sweet group of people, but, but I'd kind of I'd learned that, that, you know, there was some insincerity to this also. Right? That didn't really mean very much all the time. And man, when I get done preaching, I'm, all kinds of emotions just explode in me, both good and bad sometimes. I was grieving that day. I mean, sometimes you preach the gospel... You pour out all your heart. You ask God to move. And then there's just nothing sometimes. And man, you're just you're just wounded. And I don't know how to explain it other than that. And you don't have to care much about that. It's just what it is. But I was wounded that day. And so I just moved off to the side to avoid the kisses because they were coming. And I remember standing over there just praying, healing. Asking God to do a work, thanking him for this church. And and the Lord was like, why are you talking to me? Why aren't you having fellowship with these people? (laughs) I'm like, Lord, they're going to kiss me. (laughs) And he's like, that's what we do. That's what we do. We have fellowship with one another. But Judas... He didn't want fellowship with Jesus. He wanted Jesus to die. He wanted Jesus to be crucified. He wanted to arrest him and silence him. He wanted no part of him. Because in order to have part of him, Christ had to have all of him. Well, Jesus' response is, is incredibly telling. Jesus' response is, Friend, do what you've come for. And then they laid hands on him and seized him. And I mean, I marvel at this response. I'm like, I mean, sometimes don't you have to ask the question, Lord, did you love this guy? He called him friend. Did you love this guy? Jesus had already said it would have been better for this man if he'd never been born in this very chapter. In, let's see, verse 24. Did you love him, Lord? And you know what? How could he call him friend if he didn't have a love for him? And I marvel at this, I man. Look at the contrast. I mean, look at the contrast between Judas who's betraying Jesus, hating Jesus, wanting Jesus dead, even though Jesus had never done anything to deserve that and only shown compassion in particular to Judas even. And then Judas. And as I prayed about, this verse came to mind, First John 4, 8. It says, the one who does not love does not know God For God is love. Isn't that the difference? Judas didn't know God. The chief priest didn't know God. The elders of the people didn't know God. But Christ, as God, couldn't help but love even the one who was betraying him to death. And you and I, now, when we want to go deep, you want to go deep. It almost always starts with love. The greatest of the gifts are love, right? They'll know that we are Christ's disciples if we have love for one another. I mean, the first of the fruits of the Spirit is love. But love is a hard thing, isn't it? People hurt us. Forgiveness is hard. Trusting God to help us love is hard. Because sometimes we want to stand to the side of the room rather than going out there and letting your heart be exposed, right? I mean, here's our Savior. He's going to the cross And his example for us is to love this one who's betraying him because he's going to the cross because he loves every single one of us like he loved Judas. Do you think we're better? Do you think we deserve his love more? Do you think he didn't have to love us the same way? And so then if God loves us, should we not then, scripture says, Love one another. And what a powerful thought. What a powerful truth. He's he's moments, he's hours from the cross. He's loving. Lord, help us love. Well, let's go on. He says, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his hand and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. And he says, or don't you think I can appeal to my father and he'll at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. <laughs> Sometimes I actually have to live, just laugh out loud. I mean, here's Jesus. He's He's actually looking at Judas and saying, friend, do what you've come for. He's actually displaying some grace for a man that's condemned to hell. He's condemned to hell. Going to hell. Going to be judged. Jesus is loving him. And Peter goes, whack. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, it's just so funny to me. We know it's Peter. John eighteen ten 10 says, Simon Peter then having his sword drew and struck the high priest slave and cut off his right ear. Luke tells us in 22:51 51, that Jesus actually said, stop, no more of this. And he actually touched the guy's ear and healed it. I mean, it's, it's just this crazy contrast, right? I mean, here's Peter, this guy who's so impetuous, he's outspoken, he's already said that he wasn't going to fall away, even though as the end of our passage, they all fled, right? So he's going to, he's the one that said, I won't betray you, even if I have to die, I won't fall away from you. And so I guess he's thinking that maybe he's now going to take things into his own hands, like the unbelievers were, like he was going to protect Jesus, like he was going to control things. I mean, you and I are control freaks, aren't we? I know we are. This is yes. If you are a control freak, shake your head. And some of you are like, I'm not going to, but I am. Because man, when things are out of control and, and we don't know what to do and we haven't prayed, like Peter hasn't prayed, he's slept, he hasn't seen God, he hasn't drawn near to God, he hasn't known his presence, he hasn't known his power, he hasn't Known that he's in control of this whole situation. When we get there, we have to strike out. We have to control. We have to manipulate. We have to be the man. Right? Or the woman. Is anybody with me? And we're so bad at it, by the way. He cut off his ear. Ooh. He should have cut off his head if he was going to stop something. I'm not trying to be mean. He wasn't good with the sword. He should have at least thrust it through his chest or something. He wasn't supposed to be good. He wasn't supposed to act. He didn't need to act. God was working, but Peter couldn't see it because he wasn't looking You and I, man, we think we're going to control our life. We think we're going to protect ourselves from all the bad things. We think that somehow we're going to make us prosperous. We think that somehow we're going to have comfort. We're going to have peace. We're going to have pleasure. But we're not looking to God. Because we haven't prayed. And we're not ready. And So we strike out in the flesh. And Jesus says, man, stop put your sword back in its place. And I love what he says here. All those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Peter did not understand the character of God. Peter did not understand that Christ was the Prince of Peace. Peter did not understand that God sent Jesus to sacrifice his life for the salvation of the world. Not to protect Christ from the world, but to save the world. Man, Peter had completely missed the task at hand and so many of us miss the task at hand because we take up whatever we want to take up. We take up weapons to defend ourselves. We take up the word to strike back at those who mock us. We, we take things into our own control. And, and Jesus said, man, those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. If you start playing in the flesh, you start rattling swords with somebody else, guess what? You're going to get struck by a sword yourself. That's the way that works. We don't fight in the flesh. We don't battle with our own personal strength, with our own personal intelligence, man. I get so tired of people telling me God's given me a brain to think with, so I'm thinking. God did not give us a brain to think apart from him. He gave us a brain to trust him and to know him and to relax in him. Man, I have the privilege of going in and working with all these police officers and and they're awesome, and I mean that. And they're brave, and they're courageous, and they go do things. And I just had a report of a couple of them going to a site where this guy had an automatic weapon, full-on automatic. Twelve clips, and they had to go. And that's a bad scene. By the grace of God, they arrested him. Didn't have any issues, by the grace of God, but they went. They went. But these guys are also so self deceived. So many of them are so self deceived. They think because they're strong, they think because they're trained, they think because whatever, they're invincible. But they're not. Nor are we. Would you rather carry a sword for your protection or God? Which one? prevails. Because Jesus said, did you not know that I could call my father? He would send out 12 legions of angels. And it would only take one. <laughs> one angel. And everybody's toast. But God, but Jesus says, man, I don't need a sword. I don't need a sword because I have protection that you can't even see. It reminds me of the time that, that the Armenians come and surround the town that Elisha is in. Elisha, Elijah, I forget which one. Elisha. Anyway, and his servant goes, Oh, master, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, Hey, Lord, why don't you show him what's really out there? And the hills are filled with chariots of fire. God's protection for his people. And then God blinded the whole army of the Arameans. They led them into the capital city of Samaria, <laughs> where they were in big trouble. You think, men and women, we're going to take up the sword because we are going to deliver ourselves or God from the difficulties of our lives? How about we realize we can call on God and whatever we need, He has. But here's a deeper truth, and I love this one. This other truth in verse 54 is, is really what Jesus is getting at. He says, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Now, he doesn't give us a specific scripture, but there can't be any doubt that Isaiah 53 had to be part of this. Isaiah 53, speaking of the suffering servant how he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and yet he did not open his mouth and how the iniquities of all were laid on him and and really how he suffered and died for our sins. Not a pretty picture, a difficult picture, a tough picture because we hate the thought that the Holy One had to die for us, right? It's hard to see. But what Jesus says to them, to Peter, here's his own disciple, the one who claims to know him and follow him. He says to him, You can't take up the sword. You can't control the script. You can't get me out of this because God has said in his word, through his eternal plan, that I must go to the cross. Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. It was the only way you and I were going to be saved. He had to pay the penalty for our sins or we would have to pay it ourselves. The only way for God to be just was to carry out the punishment that our sins deserved. And so he did that on Jesus. He had to go. And so often when we are trying to walk in the flesh rather than trust God in the spirit, man, we're refusing to let God do a work in our life. Even if it's difficult things to go through, even if it's trials or hurts or frustrations, man, we can trust God. Can you trust God? The scriptures are clear by the way about some things that believers are going to experience. Man, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. What did he say as a follower of Christ? In this world, what? You might, you could, you should. No, you will have tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Man, Paul wrote to his young man, Timothy, and he said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will be persecuted but but we we're so shallow we're so shallow if we don't get our selfish ways we feel like god has forsaken us if we don't get all the creature comforts we want if we don't get all the pleasures we want, if we don't get all the time to run off and do things apart from God, these things that we're seeking after in the flesh, all these things that make us happy, our recreations, all the junk that we have, we actually get mad at God because we should deserve those things, right? That's what the false preachers say today. Get on TV and hear the false gospels that are telling you that you should have your best life now. that are telling you the man you should never suffer. they're telling you you're not a sinner who needs to repent. they're telling you that God loves everybody and won't judge anybody. Those are liars. they're not true. Look at Jesus. If that was true, do you think the son would need to go to the cross? The answer is no. Those are liars. But we want to believe the lie, don't we? But the liar's name in this passage is Judas. Jesus said it had to happen. Don't try to stop what God's doing even when it's difficult. Sometimes we have to walk through it. We need to walk through it, testify to the greatness of the Savior that lives in us. Well, at that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching you, uh, teaching, and you did not seize me. And basically he calls him to the foolishness of this whole thing. Are you kidding me? You could have come any time. I didn't hide anything from you. You could have just taken me while I was in the temple. But you come out like a bunch of sinful, wretched, wicked betrayers. And guys, that's what happens when we walk in the flesh. That's that's who we are apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Before Christ, that's what we did. We took things into our own hands. We walked under the power of the devil. We were like sons of disobedience. That's what these guys were doing. But so often today, man, we are not seeking God's design for our life. We're doing everything that we can to stay away from dying to ourselves, from giving ourselves for Christ, for suffering for Christ for being ostracized for Christ, for wrestling on behalf of Christ, for not praying, not reading, not serving. We do everything we can for self. But that's not, that's not going deep with Christ. That's not having a relationship with Christ. That's just loving ourselves more than anything else. And so he says again, all this had to take place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. So now he doesn't say to his own disciples. Now he says to the world, you don't even realize that what you're doing is carrying out the will of God. Even in your sinfulness, you're carrying out the will of God. It had to happen. I had to be arrested. But you, you're ridiculously sinful and blind in what you're doing. And then the disciples fled. So what do we do? What do we do with this passage? I mean, one of the things that we ought to do is we ought to learn to pray. I'm not talking about learning how to pray again. I'm talking about learning how to pray. Peter, James, and John had the chance to be ready. But they slept. They didn't pray. And you and I need to pray. We need to pray like we need Christ in our life. Not lip service need him. Action need him. Pray Pray. And this last week has been, has been, been a, a battle. I mean, I, I say it was rough, and I would say it was rough in some ways. There's no doubt about it. Some things that God was doing in my life personally. Last Saturday was a battle. This last Friday morning, I didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, I just flat didn't want to get out of bed. I was hurting, just hurting, just crushed. I don't really know why all the time, but I was just crushed. And I was just laying in bed. Beth was up doing her thing, and I'm just laying there. I'm not really wanting to go. I'm kind of praying, but I'm just, I'm just hurting. And uh, Beth's getting ready to leave, and I thought I ought to get up at least say goodbye to my wife. It'd be a nice thing to do, so I did. And I was just, I was just standing there after she left, and I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, what do I do? I need you. What do I do? And so I get a daily verse. I read my daily verse on my phone, and it was Psalm thirty-one twenty-four, which is a psalm we did in prayer time this morning. And I thought, what does the rest of that psalm say? And for about three hours, by the grace of God, I sat with that psalm. I prayed through it. I cried out. I spent time with God. It worked in my heart. began to heal me and encouraged me and then somebody came to my house who needed help by the time they came there I was ready by the grace of God to help them what would I have done if I hadn't been touched by the Lord to sit down and read that scripture and pray and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to just talk about me I'm just telling you what happened in my life I wouldn't have had any help for them. I wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have been humbled. I wouldn't have been already crying when I needed to cry with them, hurt when I needed to hurt with them. I wouldn't have seen the goodness and the depth of Christ at the level I needed. But He was faithful. Do you think we need to pray? Do you think we need the Word? You think you're going to get through whatever battles God's raging in your life for you to surrender or whatever battles the devil is raging in your life for you to die? You think you're going to make it without prayer and spending time in the Word? You're not going to make it. And if you think you're ever going to be faithful to the Lord God Almighty and be used for His kingdom without prayer, you're mistaken. We need to pray, men and women but we also we also need to realize that man our battle is not flesh and blood i don't care how big you are i don't care how strong you are i don't care how smart you are i don't care how well armed you are i don't care how influential you think you are how you think you can manipulate things you cannot You cannot. The things of God are God's. We walk in the Spirit or we carry out the desires of the flesh and they're nothing. Why not pray, men and women, that we would learn to walk in the Spirit, in His power, and trust in Him? And quite honestly, some of us are here and man, we need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. I mean, there's some of you actually here and you're going through tough times. And instead of trusting God, you're angry at God as if your anger is gonna somehow help you or bless you. When what Christ has offered you is life through faith in him, forgiveness of your sins, a relationship with the living God forevermore. Why not trust him? Why not let him wash your sins away and make you his child? God's not asking us to be cheap, casual. I know we want to be. But it didn't pay much. Deep with Christ? Yeah, that's the good stuff. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word. And I ask, Lord God, you'd be merciful to us. I ask, Lord God, that you would give us life through Christ. And I ask, Lord God, that you grow us deep, that you would humble us, that you would reveal your presence to us to such an extent, Lord God, that, that we would repent of our sins and give up our selfish ways and put down our worldly views and we would trust you walk with you. And I pray that you'd make us a people of prayer, Lord God. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.